Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So the Onyx Hunt app is the premier app that I use every single day when it comes to either scouting or hunting made by hunters for hunters. So one of the features I want to highlight today is the trails feature. So under the layers settings, you can click on trails and rec and the trails feature has mapped over 400,000 miles of trails on land owned by the U.S. Forest Service, national parks, BLM, local and federal government agencies, as well as even private landowners. And within that, they also have trail mileages and trail slopes. So trail mileage gives you the distance in miles between trail junctions, and you can zoom in to be able to see you know more detail with that. And the trail slope feature, which I really like because it's it's hard to really tell how steep something is until you you know get out there. It's, it doesn't look as steep on a map, but with the trail slope feature, it shows the average steepness of a trail displayed with a color gradient from green to yellow to orange to red, indicating flat to very steep. So by using these features, you can really help kind of figure out what you're about to get into and how you can navigate into different spots of the backcountry. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off of the Hunt app. The University of Elk Hunting was designed by Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 to be, a, to be the year number one resource for elk hunting knowledge to hopefully increase your chances of success when it comes to elk hunting. And I've been going through the course now since 2016. Every year I renew my membership and because it's just ha- it's filled with information. It's kind of your one-stop shop for everything elk hunting. The one module talks about locating elk. And that is the number one thing that I've heard from listeners from the podcast and talking to others as far as oh, I went out west but just couldn't couldn't find any elk. You know, I hunted for seven days, couldn't find elk. Well, this this uh, module is des- designated all to helping you find elk from going through the train and habitat, from the the different seasons, your hunting styles, and then even considering some different things like how the wind works in different areas, being mobile reading sign from tracks to rubs to beds and everything in between to help you find more elk which then gives you the opportunity to hopefully come home you know with full coolers so if you want to check out uh the university of elk hunting head over to elk101.com and use the coupon code east meets west that'll save yourself 20 percent off of one year membership for the online course and last but not least tethered so tethered has come out with they've completely changed the game when it comes to saddle hunting with their lightweight now their new phantom series saddle as well as the predator platform and even the the mantis saddle that i used last year all great options super lightweight easy to use and for me the the biggest question that I had and the thing I was so skeptical before I tried it out last year was, can I sit all day during the rut and be comfortable in this thing? And what I found was 
You absolutely can. And the reason for that is the saddle has so many different adjustments to be able to kind of sit or lean in a different way throughout the day. You can adjust, you can do a bunch of different things. And in my opinion, it's definitely not any less comfortable than a tree stand. And I've, uh, I've really come to love it and I can't wait to try out the new Phantom that has some different comfort adjustments on it to even enhance that furthermore. So if you want to check out more of what Tethered has and even just learning about saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com and check out all of their products. All right, so I want to discuss the the Mountain Buck story of the week, which on social media is referred to as Mountain Buck Monday. And this one is from Cole Mountain from Relive the Hunt. So Cole sent me this message. He talks about where he found this buck shed in 2016. Two years later, he was in a stand where, where he had three years of trail cam picks of him, rattled him in using his own shed antler, and he purposely switched it to my to my rattling antler because I knew that's the buck that I wanted to hunt. So Cole said that you know he was a beautiful 215 pound dress mountain buck and came back aged at six and a half. Such a stud deer. If you want to see a photo of that, you can head over to the East Meets West Hunt Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check out that post with Cole and his giant mountain buck. So once again, congrats Cole on that buck and feel free to send in your story of your mountain buck and uh, with a photo a little bit of a little bit of a caption with it and I'll share it on the podcast as well as on social media and as far as news for western hunting the last day to apply in Colorado is today April 7th so if you listen to this after this you missed it so hopefully you got your application in I did mine yesterday and uh, always waiting a little bit to the last minute. Wouldn't recommend that, but if you if you need to, make sure that you get that in here now. And lastly, we have rut stash stickers that are now available. Three different four-inch decals here. They're all made of the high-quality outdoor vinyl that, uh, that all my other decals are made out of. And these ones come in three different colors. We've got black and white, we've got brown and tan, and then we have a black and clear. Just in case you can't, if you're, uh, you can't grow a mustache, or maybe you're a woman or something else, and you want to want to make your own, you could stick it right on your upper lip, and it, and it'll uh, act as your own rut stash. <laughs> but in reality, we have. I have a bunch of you know different options there from stickers and everything now from the rut stash as well as something that was requested quite a bit was a women's hat. So this isn't isn't like a you know a girly flashy hat. This is a, a nice looking Richardson 115 uh, with the adventure logo on it, leather patch with a, a heathered navy look. I have the same version in the men's. The only difference is this is shaped a little bit smaller for a for a woman's head. So check that out along with all the other new apparel up on the website at eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop. All right, so on today's episode, I have a friend of mine and someone I've looked up to and has helped me get my podcast off the ground now two years ago is Brian Call from the Gritty Podcast. Brian, I'm sure he doesn't need a whole lot of introduction, but 
again, has been a great friend of mine um, over the years and is, has uh, really helped me out in, in getting my podcast off the ground and is still someone that is just absolutely killing it with his films on YouTube, the, the podcast, as well as the other forms of media. So I hope uh, you enjoy this episode here. It's meant to you know, help inspire, kind of get everyone out of this little bit of a funk uh, with what we're going through here with COVID-19. But uh, there's an end to everything. Just got to be safe, be smart, and uh, yeah, keep your head on your shoulders. All right, Todd. Hope you enjoy this one. All right, we're back for another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast, and I'm joined sitting here in front of the computer screen here, all the way out in Utah. Brian Call, what's going on, buddy? I'm good. This COVID nineteen has me a little stir crazy, <laughs> but all in all, we're good. Nobody's sick. Yet, um, my wife's been sick for a couple of weeks. She got tested for COVID nineteen two days ago. Came back negative. So, so far so good. But yeah, I'm getting a little crazy. I was worried bear season might come to an end. You know, yeah. different states are are shutting down hunting. I know. But so far, it looks like where we're where we're headed, we're going to be. We're, we still have a green light. Good. Well, hopefully that stays that way. And good to hear everyone's staying safe and everything through it. And it's funny, Brian, to, to have you back on here. The last time you and I uh, recorded an episode, besides an hour ago when I was just on yours, but <laughs> well, last time you were uh, a guest on mine, you were showing me how to use my equipment, and you were the first guest I ever had on the East Meets West Hunt podcast. So it's it's uh, pretty cool to have you back around, you know, 120 episodes later here. That's wild, man. I, I'm I'm pretty stoked on that because. You got 120 shows of information and value that you brought to people. And I remember when we were talking about whether you'd start a podcast or not. And I was telling you, man, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, it's just slow and steady wins the race, you know, value. And if you're doing it because you want to make money, there's better ways to do that, you know. But if you're going to do it because you really want to just interview people, learn from people, present good information, help other people out with what you've learned, then yeah, man, go for it. And sure enough, you've pulled it off. Yeah. And what that advice you gave me about being a marathon, not a sprint, and you got to truly enjoy it. That's so true because there is so much more work that goes into this than I would have ever imagined and I'm sure other people think because it's not just, oh, I don't, I just get on these awesome guests to talk to. We talk hunting and all of a sudden, you know, it's a successful show. Like that's right. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, just because people listen to it doesn't mean it pays any bills, you know, and, and that's an, that's a thing like figuring out most guys quit. Most gals, guys, they start a podcast, they do it for a while and they stop. And the reason they stop is because um, the work versus reward becomes clear and, and it's like, well, I'm working for free here a lot and it's okay if it's a passion project, but it's brutal if it's actually meant to bring you income. And that's why I always say, you know, it's really, there's better ways to easier ways to make money, I should say, but I love what I do now, you know, and I, I, I think it's really cool to see a 
in the marathon chugging away. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's, it's crazy for me. It's, I, I don't see any sign of stopping with it and I just keep looking for different ways. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I love the process. I love learning. I like helping other people learn. It's just, I don't know, for me, it's just still the fire's burning strong. I mean, there's days that I'm just like, and I'm, we need an episode to release at midnight and I'm, it's like 1145 and I'm having trouble getting it to go from Alphonic into Lipson. And I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm pulling my hair out. I'm like, I got to get up and work out in four and a half hours. Like, what am I doing? And, uh, there's a lot of those nights, but it's all, it's all worth it to me. And, yeah. And the end. Absolutely. So before we, um, before we get started here, Brian, for those of you that may have missed that first episode or haven't heard of your podcast, let's give a little background on Brian Call. Sure. So uh, name is Brian Call. I started the Gritty Bowman podcast about six years ago. And then uh, as the show changed from mostly bow hunting to just whatever I feel like talking about, we changed the name to Gritty, the Gritty podcast, because basically – we talk about everything from fitness to, to backcountry hunting to conservation and history uh, to, um, I don't know, like what's in my backpack, gear reviews. So it's kind of whatever I think I feel like talking about. Yeah. And so um, we're on, uh, I think, I don't know, we're in the 500s, 530 or something episodes and um, it's been fun been fun we we also have a youtube channel where we do lots of backcountry hunts and last year we produced something like um we 16 films on our hunts and those have done really well on youtube uh we had some pretty epic adventures hunting bear in uh, some remote areas and then um, our mule deer series did well we did a trip to new zealand all do it yourself all public land hunts and, uh, yeah, they're, they're intense, you know, yeah. they're back country, they're deep and they're, they're living out of your backpack for, and they're 20, 30 miles of hiking, you know, a full animal out of the back country. So it's, you know, it's been fun though. Yeah. I mean, I, I followed along and before we started recording here, I was talking about the mule deer hunt series, which I thought that was such a cool, uh, such a cool hunt with you and lampers and, and. Sylvester filming it there, you know, he's super talented behind the, the camera and, and just that, that whole film series was really put together. Well had, it was a, a mixture of like informational stuff, but like in a cinematic day by day, I don't know. It was a mixture of a bunch of different things yeah. that, uh, I, I really enjoyed, you know, being able to watch that. And of course I've been listening to the podcast from the the first few series when you just said six years there, it kind of blew my mind because I right. didn't realize it's been, you know, that long already. So I know. And it was funny when I started, uh, Renella started the mediator podcast about within a month or two of mine. Can't remember. I think his was first. And then mine, you had Jay Scott outdoors who was there. Um, Cody rich started like a month after me or two something like that. Uh, so there were, there were a few of us and it was kind of just us for a while. And then it grew. And so <laughs> now, now I think maybe there's 300 podcasts. Oh, there's there. probably more than that. 
yeah, like hunting related shows. So, <laughs> and then it's not just hunting. It's, you know, there's mainstream, there's, there's guns, like tactical, there's, there's so many people sharing great content, whatever, whatever you're interested in, you can find a podcast about it. You can find hundreds of podcasts about it. So it's a crowded space, you know, not like it used to be where it was, there was only two or three games in town. You know, we got a lot more, uh, people tuning in back then, but we still have a really hardcore group of fans that love to, you know, follow what we're, what we're doing. And the video side of the house of our production house, you know, has really ramped up this last year. And that's been the most rewarding thing to, to dive into because, you know, filming and produce, I pretty much, I film and produce all of them. And, um, now and then we brought like a cameraman, you know, or a photographer along, uh, to augment some of that. But, um, it's been, I've learned quite a bit about not just filming in the wild, but then producing at home and we're getting good at that. It's myself and my brother, it's just the two of us running the, running the business and running the, the production. So we're, we've ramped up our production on the video, on the podcast, trying to do, I have so many things that interest me from, you know, conservation topics around Theodore Roosevelt and the conservation movement and the ethic behind that to, you know, gear down to just tech tactics and hunting and fitness and diet. And, um, so I love to talk about it all. And it seems like I gotta include a little bit of everything every week. That means I just got to make more shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you were saying you're up to doing daily shows now, right? Or yeah, we've been daily? recording daily, Okay, uh, but we've been publishing about three a week Okay, or four this week we did five. Um, it just kind of between three to five a week we publish. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I, I get on YouTube on my lunch break at work and, and your shows always pop up towards the beginning there. I'm like, wait, he just came out with one yesterday. And then there's another one that says, you know, 16 hours ago. And then one that's like, you know, this many hours ago is like, yeah, what are you doing, Brian? <laughs> it's it's kind of fun. Like if you, I'm a big fan of uh, some of the daily shows that I see on YouTube um, some political channels that I follow, um, some humor, you know, funny podcast guys that talk uh, on a daily show. And so I'll tune in and they just are there every morning. They, they, they record a show and it's about daily events or news or whatever. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't have to reinvent the wheel here. I just, I just want to talk about the stuff that I'm doing right now. Like my wife just canned a bunch of meat just now. Um, coos deer meat from this last Arizona hunt I did, did a little podcast about canning meat tomorrow. I'm going to be packing for my, uh, bear hunt this, my spring bear hunt coming up in about a week or two. And so I've got all my gear set up and I'm going to go over that. And every day there's something to talk about yeah. that is useful. So that's what I've been doing. And I've been reading a lot of books. So this, um, you know, a couple of books. I'm in the middle of them, about halfway through a ton of them. And so I've just been reading snippets and sharing parts. I like get David Goggins. I covered that one uh, on a podcast fit over 45 years old, you know, how to stay fit. And another one on Theodore Roosevelt uh, and how he created the first wildlife refuge in the United States. And all of that stuff is interesting to me. So I like to bring that up and 
just bring a little it's therapeutic in a way yeah that i get to kind of read and share you know yeah that's 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 cool i love the the book review stuff i mean when when you guys started doing that i don't know probably a couple of years ago now with the extreme ownership uh, i remember i've listened to that one more more than once i mean multiple times and and some of the other different ones uh was starts with why did you cover that one or yeah is that yeah, yeah that one and simon Sinek. yeah mm-hmm. and so i you know i read these books you know based off of that and you know i, I like reading books i'm in the middle of goggins yeah. book right now and just like yeah it's to me i like hearing then you know your perspective on that um and yeah and that's it's just well, it's think cool. about it you think about it there are a lot of guys who want to know what's in the book, but they sure as hell don't want to read it. They're too busy. Yeah. You know, I'm the same way. If someone else will break down and summarize what's in that Theodore Roosevelt book for me, I'd be happy to tune into what they have to say. Cause I don't have the time to read it. It's thicker than the Bible, you know? So, <laughs> um, anytime someone can, that's my service that I provide, right? Like I, I do some of that cause I do it anyway. Then I break it down and share it with an audience so they don't have to go and figure that stuff out, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, essence, that's what you're doing with a podcast when you interview someone. You know, you have someone on about elk hunting in the West. Look, people want to know how to elk hunt in the West, but the reason they listen is because they, they want someone else to break it down for them in a faster, you know, shorten their learning curve and help them be better. Um, so that's, that's just it. That's all it is. Yeah, just breaking it down and and going through that. So, if you with uh, everything going with the COVID nineteen slash coronavirus, you know, have you been reading more books, or are you still kind of is as things change much for Brian Call? I'll tell you what. Um, in a way, you know, this I gotta wonder as as hard as this is for Americans and for people stuck in their homes. In the upside is families are spending time together, right? And people who have been just absorbed in their work are now being forced to like take stock of the meaning of life, you know? Like what's this all for? I think this forced sort of, you know, sabbatical from everyday life has actually made people stop and think about life in a deeper level, live it with more with more purpose rather than just flow, let it just happen to them, you know? So for me though, um, I would say I've been able to connect with my kids. We're all, we're all close, but we've been a lot closer. They've been homeschooled this last couple of weeks and we're laughing we're watching movies each night. And it's like a vacation in a way. We're still working hard during the day cause we all, they have school and I, and I still keep cranking on my stuff. Um, so uh, some of that hasn't changed, but the time we're spending together has increased. And um, I don't have – so one thing I covered in a recent podcast was spend less, hunt more. That was one of my la- la- latest shows. And, you know, I got out of debt maybe 10 years ago, um, really cleaned up our finances, got rid of debt, and followed the Dave Ramsey plan, the total money makeover from Financial Peace University. And built up a savings account with three to six months worth of expenses, got ourselves a little nest egg for the future. I've been putting money in there since my daughter was born. She's 16. So now I have a nice little retirement fund as I, inv- as I save 15% of what I earn every month. 
And these sort of activities have really given me freedom because I don't have debt and I have a nest egg for the future and I have savings in, a, in an account right now for these exact situations. And so I'm not as, I'm not as in dire straits as other people are. It's really, it's not that big a deal because I'm good for two or three months income wise with the savings if I were not to make any money at all. And then I have, you know, a little more, but I have no debt. So we don't need a lot of money either to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And my freezer is full of game meat, like, and canned, canned meat in the pantry. And we have tons of preserved foods for, for months on end, you know, just in a food storage. So we're kind of prepared for these, I don't know, apocalyptic moments. Never really yeah. had to dive into it like this. But you know, with the podcast and and the YouTube channel and all that stuff that I run, it's very volatile. You know, what I get paid is really dependent on how things are going and partnerships that I have. And and sometimes there's no, we don't make any money for a month or two. And then all of a sudden something happens where it works out really well and we make a bunch of money. And, and so I have to have, you know, a yeah. significant you know, savings to sort of carry us through the down times and then replenish it when we're making more money in the up times. And it's kind of just what most entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs have to do to get by. You know, we're, we're a little more prepared, I think in some ways than your person that's nine to five. I was there till I was 40, you know, working nine to five, you get a salary and it's very easy to become a month to month paycheck kind of person and have every dollar pre-spent before you even made it you know that's not the case anymore so for me this has been a lot of ways just kind of a a little bit of a break but i worry about other people and i'm trying to stay in contact with friends and family that are in more dire situation and help out as i can yeah i mean that's that's so true with with you know myself i'm i'm lucky i i do i am working a 9 to 5 and i'm still working cuz the business that i'm in is still considered essential so even though in pennsylvania every place is shut down except for essential businesses i'm still working so i'm lucky to have that paycheck but the way that in the last few years that i've set up my life and from listening to different people and you know with with having a financial advisor now and and jeff bynum and some other different people of influenced me to learn about that the savings you know having that okay three to six months that i can live without making a dime if anything happened and and, and i just as of a, i think it was a week or two ago i you know got out of debt and then ended up buying a house so i got a little bit back into it but not you know i'm not in a position where before i mean when i was first out of college i spent every dollar I had to the point, like it was, it was crazy. You know, I got out and I bought a truck like two months in, didn't have really anything to put down on it. You know, I did that. And then I bought a side by side and I had all these things that, um, (laughs) I was living. I I had my paycheck, you know, and, and I was like, I don't want to do this. How am I making good money, but not having any money at the same time. So anyways, where I'm going with that, it was like, I just feel a lot more confident in that scenario. I mean, I'm this, everything with the the pandemic and stuff. I mean, it worries me for people's health and I really hope that, you know, that everyone can stay safe with it. But for me and being the person I am and the the stuff I like to do, it hasn't really um, 
taken a huge effect on me personally, I guess. Um, like I, I look at it as a time of, okay, I said, can't travel and do some different things that I was doing and, and, you know, everything's shut down. Businesses are hurting. Well, why don't we look at this as a time to invest in yourself and learn more, you know, read more books, exercise more, do different things that you can find some sort of positive within any situation. I think it's a, it's a mindset thing. I'm not oblivious to the situation and acting like it's not happening, but at the same time, I feel like, uh, I'd, I'd like to hear kind of your standpoint on that. For me, I enjoy reading. You know, I read, uh, I, I just enjoy reading. And so I got books like all over the house and all over in here. And some of them I've had a goal to read for a long time and haven't read them. I, it's been a slower pace of life being stuck at home like this. And like I said, everybody's been able to take a little more inventory than they have in the past. You see all these people going on walks with their family and they haven't gone on a walk with their family in years, you know? And so, yeah, I think slowing life down and living it with more purpose, more intent is really valuable because now you're sitting down and going, okay, I want to better myself. I want to spend more time reading and learning and growing as a person. I think all of that is really, it's really fulfilling Mm -hmm. versus you're always running, 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 and you never stop and, and, you know, take the time to, I don't like the word meditate, but basically take the time to, to meditate, to think uh, about what it is life is about and what you're trying to do. And, you know, for me, when my wife got cancer years ago in 2014, she was diagnosed with cancer and we went through chemo and, and all of that. And, and, uh, I was a different person before that versus after and after, and even to this day, I really try to be grateful for, for whatever it is that I've got. I, I really combat any kind of, any kind of sadness or depression or melancholy feelings that I have with gratitude. And I approach it that way every day. And my, my sister did this thing with her kids where it was the gratitude. wrote down every day for like 10 or 15 minutes all the things that they're grateful for. And they did that for like a year. I mean, she's, she's, a, she's, she's a persistent mother. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when, when, her, when her two sons would fight with each other, they had to sit down for like an hour and write all the things they were grateful for from the other brother they were fighting about. You know, and so... I feel like, and then they had to read it to their brother that they were fighting with all the things they were grateful to their brother for. Honestly, I think it's really healthy because it takes a certain amount of humility to be grateful, you know, and so it it Im- immediately gets rid of selfishness and ego and woe was me, and you start looking outward. And for me, it was really a matter of uh, when Suzanne was really sick, I thought, you know, you know, I had to face the possibility that she might that she might die from cancer. And at that moment I had a decision to make. It was like, you know, I guess in a way I I had to decide how I would handle that. What, how was I handling it? You know? And I thought, would I, would I change anything? Um, you know, if I knew that I, that she would die at age, you know, 36 of cancer, 
would I have gone through the whole previous time with her? And the answer was absolutely yes. I would, I would easily take the loss for what I got to have while she was still with me. And there was, there's, and it was clear as day in my mind that that's, that's how I felt. So at that moment, I realized that, you know, being grateful for her and the time I did have and all the things I still have in my life, that opened me up to, um, you know, to not be grateful would rob me of all the other awesome blessings and things that are coming my way in my life. So if I lost my wife, I'd still had my kids. I still had all those future times and moments with them and other loved ones and other experiences. And it would be hard, but man, there's so much life still there that's wonderful. And it takes the a glasses half full approach in order to in order to live that way. And so for me, when I feel down, I turn to being grateful as much as I can. And, and it's kind of a daily exercise, exercise for me. And so I generally am pretty happy all the time, even when things are pretty dark, you know, um, and uh, it works for me. Yeah. I, and it's, it's, funny because like i said it, it's a it is a mindset shift and like just the being grateful for things is something that during this time although you know i'm still working and things i'm not traveling like the first couple months this year i was in 13 different states and two countries like and this is on top of working a full-time job weekend trips and doing things and yeah. with the the podcast and like i never sat down to think or like just kind of reflect and through this time I've been spending just more time you see it on in the woods on my Instagram stories and the stuff that I don't share as much with I've been going over to my house and and just working on things tearing up the carpet and you know working on little things that that don't take as much thinking for me to do and just I can sit there and just kind of reflect on stuff at slower paced. I'm not worried about packing a bag for this next trip or doing things. And for me, that's really helped and being able to spend some more time family and, and talking to friends and everything. And it also make me appreciate, you know, my, so my girlfriend lives halfway across the country and didn't, you know, with a, something like this, where traveling isn't, you know, the easiest yeah. thing or really even possible you know, it makes you appreciate those times that you, you did have or you do have. And, and just there's a lot of things to be able to, um, I don't know, that I've been trying to pull positives out of this. And what you said earlier about like, you know, is people are spending more time with, I, I drove home from work today and drove past a couple gates to these like forest roads. And normally you, on a nice day, you might see one vehicle there with someone walking their dog. It was like packed. And then there's people yeah. all up and down the road walking with their dogs and their kids. And, and that was kind of cool to, to see that. Is it, you know, is there some is. bigger meaning to it that, you know, if you can look at a bright side out of what's happening, is this, you know, some way to make people appreciate their families more? And I don't know, but that's the way I'm yeah. kind of looking at it. Honestly, I, you know, <clears throat> I look at hardships or difficulties as, uh, you know, these opportunities to grow their blessings in the end. I wish more Americans were required to travel to some third world hellhole because you learn a lot going to another country about how good you have it here. And the other thing you learn is that will shock you is how happy 
the people are in the third world poverty stricken country they live in. Like that was eye opening too, where I, I ended up in India. I was there for work doing it consulting and work there. I was there for a few weeks, a couple times. And uh, when I'm, when I was in India, I was stricken. I was struck by the poverty that you would encounter on a day to day basis and the, the pollution and just, it's a man, we have it good in America, really good. And you don't realize that till you go to some place that's that poor. And there were very opulent, very wealthy hotels, you know, that wealthy people would stay at. But then there were people starving to death on, on the street. And so you saw these extreme differences in wealth in the country. And, uh, but I looked around and, you know, I'm looking at kids digging through dumpsters and there's pigs and there's there's donkeys doing the same thing and there's just piles of trash knee deep and they're eating garbage out of there and you see that kind of stuff everywhere you look too it's not like this is just in a pocket it's like the whole, the whole country has it's the pollution i don't know what it ranks in the world but it's right up there you know near the top and so you couldn't breathe either the air and you look at that compared to the united states it's it's mind it's mind blowing and yet what i found were there were a lot of very happy people who were dirt poor dirt poor and they were laughing and telling jokes and hanging out and having fun with their friends and they're just less spoiled than us bo yeah they're just less spoiled and they're grateful for what they actually have, which isn't much. Yeah. And here we are over here all wallowing in our misery because we didn't get what we wanted and we're loaded. We're so wealthy. It's ridiculous. And yeah. so I feel like, man, people need to go to some other countries to get perspective. And then, like I said, be grateful because even the poorest among us are rich compared to many, many people in the world today. Well, yeah. It's, I mean – I, you know, I catch myself too. And you're talking about us being spoiled, you know, I'll be bitching about the Wi-Fi speed. I can't upload my <laughs> podcast in time and it fills. And I'm like, you kidding me? How can I not have this fast Wi-Fi? Like, really? <laughs> right. Like, really? You'll sit back and think about it. You're like, that's what I'm, co- if I'm complaining about my Wi-Fi speed, I've got it really, really well, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, man, my truck, you know, it's paid for. It's like six years old though, man. I really... I just need a new truck. I'm sick of this truck. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> oh, I want to put a deck system in it. Like we were talking yeah. about on yours. Like, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I really wish uh, I could have that. You know, I know drawers. <laughs> just, it's, it's a curse human. We always want more. And it seems like the more we get, the more we want. And yeah. like I said, I was in Japan for a couple of years and there were some very poor people there too, that I would encounter. And, uh, again, I was just struck by how happy, poor people are that honestly like and i started to look around going why do i see this common thread there were people that would uh where i've seen a lot of poor folks from different parts of the world and they're focused on family they're focused on you know they're grateful for what they have and i am surprised with so little why they're so much happier than some of the most wealthy among us who are the most screwed up messed up psychologically depressed people who commit suicide you're like but 
but you're the like the wealthiest, most famous person in the world, and yet you're the most unhappy. Like, yeah, wow. And so I started to draw that correlation that money is not what makes people happy. No. It's something different. And if you're not happy right now, regardless of your financial situation, you're never going to be happy whether you have more money or not, whether you have more things or not. And I, I hope this kind of thing going on with COVID sort of makes people see that. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, that's so true. Like, and it's something that I think I learned a lot of this perspective and mindset on when I started Western hunting, when I started backpack hunting and things where I got, I was put in struggle. That was not what I wasn't used to. And it's still, you know, minor compared to a lot of things, but just the fact of, okay, this thing I have in front of me, my cell phone that I do not have cell service. And I'm not a person that I feel like is on my phone all the time, but I must be on it a lot more than I thought because I go out there and I lose it for six days at a time. And it's like, I felt like lost. You almost feel like anxiety over it. And you know, it's, it sounds, you know, like if, you know, someone's listening and hasn't done it, been like, okay, I could go that long without it. Well, it's, it's a change. Or if you're trying to find water every night, okay, your camp's here and you got to drop thousand feet off the mountain to find this water and then come back up to camp every day. And when you're focused on those different things, you know, I came back here and, and those, those small things that I was complaining about or, or things at work that came up weren't as big of a deal to me anymore. I don't get as worked up. And for me, that was like the start of, you know, kind of evolving with the the mental side of it. And yeah, when you're grateful for running water for heat in your home and a hot bath, like all of a sudden you're connecting the dots, like things could be totally different there. There's so much to be grateful for that we take for granted every minute of every day. And those things could disappear on you. You know, we live in a fabulous time, you know. So that gratitude is key for me. Like, I got to focus on it all the time. It's it's how I deal. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you still able to go to the gym during this time, to the Mountain Ops gym? You know, they, they should close the gym down. And I'm not supposed to be in the gym. But... <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm not supposed to share a photo that I'm in the gym. Okay. You know, uh, so the answer is there's a handful of us, a very small handful of us that uh, sneak into the gym mm-hmm. every couple of days. So, uh, but it's closed to the public. Yeah. And I really, the last week or so, I haven't been in as much just because there's there's so much going on right now with the COVID thing where people are so sensitive over the subject. So I've just been hiking instead. Yeah. Hiking the mountain. Yeah. No people there. I'm by myself. I get a good, good workout and get some good exercise, but, um, and that seems to be more relatable to people right now. Yeah. No, I, and then then visit to the gym. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that's, um, I, I have a, a gym that I have access to at work. That's, one that me and one other guy are the only ones that use it. Everyone else is working from home or just don't use it. So we just, we have good sanitation practices that we use with it, but it's, it's not like the normal gym I go to. They don't have all these free weights and stuff. It's just a minor thing. So most of the time I'm doing stuff outside hiking with a pack on, you know, I had someone comment on a thing on Instagram the other day. It's like, uh, a company shared a photo of mine where I was scouting. I had a shed in my hand and I had a full pack on my climbing sticks and my saddle. And they're like, 
who does all that with, with, you know, carrying that stuff. That's not, you know, realistic. And it really wasn't set up for a photo. Like that's what I carry all my stuff. Like I would for hunting to just right. prepare for it and, you know, get exercise. And also I practice setting up my stand or in my, my saddle to, you know, kind of prepare for things as, as we're going along. But anyways, I'm always trying to find different ways to include exercise, you know, when I'm outside and doing that stuff, that's, you know, realistic and, and right now, like, this is why I'm really thankful for, I live kind of in the middle of nowhere and it's, I can still get out and do a whole bunch of stuff. Like it's, it's great to get out and fresh air. Me too. I got this mountain right here. Um, I was in the gym yesterday and Truett Haynes, uh, Cam's son, he just did, he just beat David Goggins pull-up record. I saw that. Yeah. 4,100 <laughs> pull-ups in 17 hours. Goggins was 4,030 pull-ups in 24 hours. So he he cleaned house on on Goggins there. Um, That's insane. And uh, and it's funny. And so he did that yesterday. His hands are hamburger. But then uh, but then he just ran like six miles up the mountain with his dad with Cameron Haynes this morning. And so and then ran back down and stuff. And so. There, you know, um, and it's right here, you know, just being yeah. able to get out and, and, uh, hit these mountains. And so I feel blessed where I'm living. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can find, no matter where you're at, you can find a little bit of a, you know, a way to get out and, and do things and get some exercise in these times, you know, that's, for, yeah, that, I don't know. Exercise is always just clarity for me. That's my, that's my get out and refresh. Me too. And I think, you know, one of the things I do kind of on the, the daily usually is I like a hundred burpees. Like if I just need some exercise and I'm in the house, it'll just knock out a hundred burpees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a nice basic level of fitness and I can do that in a few minutes in the morning or in the evening, afternoon, whatever, and then go on and do my other things. So I, when I travel to a hotel room or something like that, I try to do hundred burpees, you know, and then, and then I'll add maybe push-ups, handstand push-ups, regular push-ups, one-legged squats, you know, some things like that to just a body weight routine. Yeah. And, uh, keep, you can really maintain a nice level of base level of fitness with some of that. And then the last thing I try to pit it, put in is some pull-ups, find a place to hang and pull up, do pull-ups. And so, Mm-hmm. That's kind of my go-to group of exercises that I'll do, but burpees will get that heart rate going yeah. at a sustained level and uh, do a full body. It's all, your whole body's engaged in the movement, you know, so it's a nice, uh, a nice exercise. And I like being at a level where I can just pop out a hundred burpees and it's nothing, yeah. you know, I want to be able to be at that level all the time. Um, and all, once you have it, it's just a maintenance routine of just, just doing it, you know, just, it's not hard to keep it. I I remember, uh, when I was dating my wife in college, there was this kid that was a roommate of hers that would do 500 sit-ups every day. And it was like, he just did them and, uh, he'd been doing them for years. You know, he worked up to that number Mm -hmm. and as long as he just cranked out 500, they're always there and ready to rock. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't hard because he had earned it. And so that's what I like to do. I try to get that level of fitness and I, 
I really, for me, it's a year round thing just through little things like that. I hike the mountain multiple days a week. I do some workouts in the gym, lift some loads and do the burpees. And I just kind of maintain a basic level of fitness. It's, I found like years ago that it was easier to stay fit than it was to get out of shape and then try to earn it back. And I think the older you get, the more that's true. So this isn't a, I heard, uh, Vince Carter talking, you know, he, he's like 40 years old in the NBA, you know, Toronto Raptors. And he's like, they were talking to him and he just said, look, you know, to, to play at the level I play at, at this age, I just, it's a year round thing. I never am not in shape. I can't afford to take the summer off and then just come back. It just doesn't work. I'm, I'm, I've gotten to an age where it's a get it and then just maintain it. Like, mm-hmm. don't let it go. Yeah. That's, um, like, so this morning, one of the, the workouts I did is really simple, but I'd run for three minutes and then I'd do, I had one kettlebell. I'd do kettlebell swings. I'd do 50 and I'd run three minutes and then 40 and down to 30, 20. And then I'd run again. Then I'd do push ups going up the ladder to 20, 30, right. 40, 50. And it's something like that that takes, I can't remember what it was, 42 minutes. I did the, the whole thing in. And I, you know, it was a great workout. You know, it was something that I felt good after doing it. And, and I'll, I'll do different things like that, intervals and combine it. And it, I don't know. You can always kind of play around with things and do well, that. Well, like we were saying earlier about being financially prepared for something like what we're experiencing right now, being healthy is a form of preparedness as well. Like what if, you know, everybody runs for the hills, you know, who's going to make it? People who are fit, who's going to withstand uh, COVID, you know, coronavirus getting in your lungs, people with good respiratory and physical health and immune good, strong immunity. You know, if you've gained a lot of weight and you're out of shape and you're dealing with uh, high blood pressure and diabetes and things like that, you know, you're not prepared for this kind of event, you know, and uh, it comes with a lot more stress. And so I think, you know, just uh, getting that fitness in place and putting it, keeping it is so much value there, you know? Yeah. And so uh, kind of along those lines that we were talking about, um, you know, with staying in shape for your hunts and just for your overall mental wellness, there was, you you know, you went on a lot of hunts last year and, and there's one specifically that you shared a few photos of, um, and you may have talked about it on your podcast, but your solo elk hunt that you did last year, uh, I kind of want to hear about that because I've never, I haven't done any Western hunt solo and i that take definitely takes a different mindset and I kind of want to just yeah. hear, hear a little bit about that, that hunt in general. So, uh, that was really one of my first truly solo hunts where I was out by myself for days at a time, um, hunting alone. And I actually found it really, really, really rewarding because the more I hunt, the more I want to do it my way. (laughs) Like the more I just, I don't want to bring a dead weight with me. Like someone who doesn't want to climb to the top of that mountain or someone who doesn't want to move camp this much closer to where I've seen the elk or someone who doesn't want to get up as early because it's raining. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so you can always strike out on your own, even though you're sharing a camp with someone, but there was something really, 
therapeutic about being in charge and being alone and doing it all on my own. And you behave differently when you're by yourself. Like if I want to get up earlier and sac- work harder than like, I don't have to check with someone else. I just do it. And I remember talking to solo hunter, Tim Burnett years ago. And then later with Ryan Lampers, who's a good friend of mine who does a lot of solo hunting. And I was having conversations about it and they were saying, Ryan, in fact, was telling me, you will kill more animals and bigger animals if you hunt alone than you will with a friend. Mm-hmm. With uh, and, it, and that kind of is counterintuitive almost because it's like, well, teamwork, it's got to be, you know, good. But I started to pay more attention. Tim Burnett made a similar kind of statement. And so I want to try it like legit get into it and sure enough you know um i would i just did it how i wanted to and the things that i actually liked the freedom that came from just coming and going with camp chasing elk how i want to i was much much more patient you know and no one was there to play you know monday morning quarterback on me yeah. Like inevitably is what happens too. It's like, well, maybe you should have done this or I would have done that. You know, there's none of that going on because it's just me. Mm-hmm. And if I screw up royally, which I did, I shot right over a bull's back big time because I had dialed the site and then forgot to dial it back. Mm-hmm. And I, I had it dialed and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sneak in on this bull real close. I, I, I was just like, okay, I'm going to shoot him at, at 70. I've shoot, shot a, a bull at that range, shot a shot deer. You know, I'm especially under the right conditions. That's an easy shot. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about shooting this bull, and but then in my mind, I'm like, you know, but why shoot him from here if I could get to 25 or 30? And I'm pretty sure, man, I think I'm pretty sneaky. I think I can get over to where he's at, you know. So and I had my stockasins on, which are just some leather moccasins made by Tanner, buddy Tanner. So I had those moccasins on and I'm sneaking through the trees and I get closer and I get to like 30 something yard, 35, I think I'm ranging this bull and he's chasing this spike around just mad with this spike. And he's screaming, he's bugling and this spike, he chases off two or three times. And while he's distracted with this spike and he's got like a harem of 10 or 15 cows, I keep creeping closer and that spike, he jumps the spike and it runs straight at me, like like it's going to run me over. And I'm, I got to lean a little to the side. My bow is pointed at this bull. And the the the, the spike runs and he, he slams on his brakes and he's like three feet from me. And he looks down at me and he's like, whoa, what is that? And he jumps to the side. Meantime, that herd bull that's like 30 yards away doesn't even notice that this spike, you know, flinched or He's in his own and the spike runs away and he's looking at me now at 30 or 40 yards, but that bull, he's not even paying attention. He's looking at the spike still. And I draw my bow back, settle the pin, shoot. And I have a slider, you know, a three pin slider and uh, shot right over his back because I still had it dialed, Yep. you know, for like 70 yards. So that was depressing, you know, cause the bull flinches runs off and, um, but no one was there to, to like tell me what an idiot I was just myself, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of nice. Like, Oh, that was a rookie mistake, but 
if I wanted to, it's just between me and me, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, and I was like, you know what? That happens. People make mistakes. Let's just re- regroup and go after it again. And that's what happened. And there were, there were opportunities I should have capitalized on. But it was really nice, especially having had a camera follow me around a lot the last few years, to just not have that problem, not have that issue, and just be able to hunt free, you know, and do it however I wanted. So for me, it was really rewarding, and I did kill a nice herd bull, a nice 6 by 6 bull, and that was exciting. And the last three days, like, the, the hunting was pretty hot. The bulls were screaming everywhere, and I was going out, and I was running into guys. Like, every now and then, I'd re- meet some dude in the woods, you know, and we'd hot talk for a day, and... But I was, I was starting to, the hunting had died way down, like died. There was no elk, not a lot of talking. I knew they were there. They just weren't talking anymore. Mm-hmm. And the season was coming to an end. I think I had spent 12 days out there and hadn't killed a bull. I should have killed a bull like three times. I should have killed bulls. Um, but, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I just, it didn't happen. And so. Here we are, and I climbed into a tree stand because they weren't talking, and I had brought a tree stand into this backcountry area, like four miles, five miles. So I hung the stand, and I sat in the stand. I'd actually had the stand there over a week, you know, but I knew these elk were in this area. The wind was blowing everywhere because it was kind of warmish, and so I was like, this is stupid. They're not talking, so I might as well just get in this stand over this pinch point and hope that something walks by that's my last resort because for two or three days i had been calling and they just weren't talking so i climbed in the stand and i sat there and i was starting to go you know what this is over you know and i had lost power to my uh, phone lost power to a few things camera batteries were dead because i thought i'd kill before that so and they don't handle the cold at all and so we had some cold nights and batteries are dead and so I was a little frustrated by all that. So I'm in the stand. The only thing that really worked was my inReach, and it was getting dead too. <laughs> in fact, the day before, I ran into this guy named David Davis, who's actually from, I think, right here in Draper, Utah, not far from here. And uh, I ran into him, and we were talking, and I, my phone was dead. And uh, and I said, well, Hey, and we we got to talking because I called him into my call, and, uh, <laughs> and so then we we talked, or I called, or he called me into his. I, I can't remember. No, I called him into my call, and anyway, we got over there, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? Um, I need on X maps because I needed to see where this bull had gone, and I had it marked, and so he had a charger, and so we plugged in for a little bit to turn on my phone, and then we both went after this bull together, <laughs> and uh, we didn't get him. But it was a, a fun day. It was just a stranger I met in the woods. So next yeah, day, cool. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm in this stand and this bull, I see a bull, up, up, this herd bull I had missed earlier and a bunch, and it's her whole herd of cows. So I climbed out of the, I, I was hoping they'd come my way. They didn't. So I climbed out of the tree after they went around the corner in this thick, thick cover. And then I just snuck in on them on my, in my stockasins and I got to, real close and all the elk were bedded there and i just took my time and then uh couldn't see the bull and uh and then a little bit later the bull came back to his cows and i shot him 
and it was like I was really thinking it wasn't going to happen. I only had like two more days, and the season ended. And I was really bummed because I had opportunities. I just didn't capitalize. But I stayed. And that, I don't know, it was uh, when I shot him and he ran off, it was personal. There wasn't anybody to show off to or talk to or, you know, yeah. it really was just me and the elk. And when he ran off, I, I sat there and that felt good, like to know I probably, it was a good shot. And, and then sure enough to find him. And then to have him be alone, I wanted to text my buddies and say, hey, can you come help me pack the bull out? But every electronic device was dead, and I could, which was frustrating. So I ended up, like, breaking him down and all night, which I don't know if I could have got a buddy to do it unless it was, like, Lampers. But I ferried the meat all downhill and then uphill to this, to this uh, area where it's all downhill for miles out to the trailhead. And... Uh, got all the, the meat up there and hanging and and then the next day it was really a, a, a moment of fulfillment you know I got to pack the meat out make a trip out to the truck recharged all the devices spent the night there came back the next day got the rest of the meat and my camp and the bowl and and uh you know some people wrote in because I did a podcast about it the, the September my whole September hunt and some people were like, well, it, you said you were solo elk hunting and all that, but I really wanted to know, you know, you, you just told me what happened, but I wanted to know how did you get through all those lonely times and all the lonely nights and what were you telling yourself when you, you know, when you were all alone? And I was like, well, I, I guess I didn't talk about it because it didn't bother me. Like I didn't have any problem being alone. Like yeah. I enjoyed being alone. I I didn't have to talk to myself at night. Like I was in my own head, perfectly happy being alone. And so it never came up on the show because it wasn't a challenge. It wasn't a struggle. Yeah. And uh, I only think that's the case though because I'm almost forty six. I've been hunting a long time. You know, I've been out there doing. You know, being alone just on days, uh, I felt really comfortable. I do feel really comfortable that I spent so much time out in places like that. There's no f real fear. I, I feel safe out there. I feel comfortable. Um, and I have audio books I'm listening to, and I have Kindle, which I was reading books from. And I, no I wonder I, your I, phone was dead. <laughs> it's true. Like I, I have little earbuds that I bring. And I charge those suckers up and I listen to a book. When I get back to the tent, I put a little earbud in, you know, in one ear and I start, you know, getting my food ready. The last few days it had rained a lot and it was cold and my stuff was wet and I was using a Seek Outside Dyneema, you know, Cimarron tent. And so it's a nice big teepee and I got my stove in there and I get the stove. I light my fire. Fire is just the most comforting thing you're warm, your gear's drying out. That I would say the fire and the tent, the teepee, was a big part of what made staying out there really easy to do. Mm -hmm. It's a game changer. Yep. Heat and fire is a game changer. Maybe that's also it. Like I get back there and it was just like I got hours and hours to just sit in front of the fire and I listened to an audiobook while I was 
you know, warming up my dehydrated meals, which I made myself on that trip. Um, you know, taking in some calories for the day cause I was so busy hunting. I didn't eat much, you know, and I'm just kind of taking in hydration, water, listening to a good story and thinking, you know, in a front of a hot fire, there's, it's just relaxing, Yeah, you know? And then after all that's done, I'm making plans in my head for the next day, you know, thinking, okay, tomorrow could be the day. And I know they've been coming through here. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up here. And as they come back from that feeding area, I want to intercept them at this point. The wind should be good if I get there. If they don't get there by 10, I got to back out because the wind's going to switch. And then if that's the case, I'm going to circle around and go here. You know, I've been zeroing in on their pattern and their behavior, you know, day after day. And so you're using all that knowledge. Okay, tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. And you fall asleep, you sleep like a baby because you're in the woods and you got a warm fire, wake up in the morning and you're jacked and excited because this could be the day that all the stuff you've been working for, this might happen. And you move out. And I, I don't know, I didn't have a mental, I loved every moment of it, yeah. you know? That's in that, that patience thing. Like you just were talking about, like when you're by yourself, you can have more patience, but you're saying you, you know, slowly just worked your way in on, you know, on this bowl and everything like that could be, I, I know for me personally, I feel like a, a sense of urgency or a need to get action, especially if I'm with somebody, you know, when I whitetail hunt, I'm always by myself. Well, this past year I had, uh, Chris Derrick from Sika, and then a camera guy that came and I'd never had anybody else hunting with me. And, you know, they were kind of relying on me to help them get set up on things. Cause they'd never been to the area, different things. And I felt like I was making decisions that I wouldn't normally do based on the fact of having One, other people there. 100%. And where that really sunk in for me was, you know, over a year ago, I hunted with Ryan Lampers, Stealthy Hunter, on Instagram. Um, I hunted with Ryan Lampers in Arizona on a coos deer hunt. And Ryan had pinpointed this monster Boone and Crockett coos deer, and he was making a play on it. And David Brinker and I, you know, David from uh, Sitka, but now uh, country music, Mr. Country Music, we were sitting there watching Ryan do his stock. And Ryan went down the mountain toward this buck. And when he was about 85 yards away from the buck, he sat down and just waited. And the wind was in his face, you know. And there's a little creek running along the bottom. And the, and the deer were about 85 yards up that creek. And that buck was following doe around. And he had cover. And I was like, why didn't he get, why isn't he moving in? You know, it's 85 yards close to 40, you know. Yeah. And he doesn't. Ryan sits there the whole time. And so I wondered if he couldn't see the deer anymore. So I'm waving him down or I whistle and he looks back up, up at me and David and we're like giving him pointers and giving him numbers where the deer is. And he's like, uh-huh, got it, got it. So <laughs> it gets dark and Ryan backs out and he comes up the hill. And we're like, did, did you not find him? Like, what, what happened? And Ryan's like, no, I did what I meant to do. I'm, I went down there, got within 80 yards, and then I waited for him to make a mistake. And I, I was like, really? That I mean, you could have moved in and shot him. He's like... I could have, or I could have moved in and spooked him. And you know what? Then he'd be gone. He's like, you know where he's going to be tomorrow? I'm like, no, he's going to be, he's like, he's going to be right here somewhere tomorrow. And the next day he'll be right here again. And the next day he'll be right there again. And the next day he'll be there again, somewhere right here. And I'll find him 
And one of those times I'm going to be close and he's going to make a mistake and walk right to me. So it's a little bit of a blend of, huh. of spot and stock and tree stand ambush hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like without the tree. <laughs> Ryan has a little bit of both that he does. And after watching him do that and also find the same big buck over and over again, he's like, as long as we don't blow him out, he'll be here. Well, that was a lesson for me. I learned a lot. I learned a lot on that one hunt. Changed my whole view of hunting, spot and stock. So the other the other thing that came into play was, you know, Ryan Ryan said I did not like it that you and Brinker were watching the stock. I was like, you didn't. He's like, no. It really made me want to go after the buck just because I knew you guys were watching and trying to help. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like obligated to sort of make this happen because you're there. He's like, Brian, I do not feel that when I'm here by myself. I, those emotions are not there. When I go down there by myself, I don't care if I'm there all night or not all night. I, I'll take 10, 12, 14 days to kill this deer if it takes that. That's a whole different kind of approach, right? That kind of surprised me. And then I started to pay attention to myself. I do the same thing. I make a lot of choices that I wouldn't make. I make a lot of choices when I have a group with me that I would not make if I was by myself. And when I went on that elk hunt, I started making choices that I'll make because I want to make them my way. I would back out because the wind was going bad and I'd come back tomorrow. And sure enough, those elk would be there again. Mm-hmm. I did the same tactics and I was very patient. And those elk never really blew out of that area because they, they never really got pushed. Yeah. You know? And I had the area mostly to myself. And I was figuring them out slowly but surely. And eventually they did something I had. It's funny, like the same route I took to kill that bull on the last day was the same route I took when I missed that bull and I shot over his back. Same, they, they did the same thing. They came over the crest, yep. went through this thicket. I, so when I went after them that last day, I kind of knew their pattern because they had done the same thing four or five days earlier when I'm screwed up like an idiot. Yeah. And so I went in again, but I never did, even though I shot over his back, I, he never knew I was there. You know, I had the wind in my favor. He just knew a shot went over. He knew something spooked him, but he didn't go far. and blow him out. So I learned a lot, and it was a really fun experience. And you do behave differently by yourself. And I became a better hunter from that hunt. And I'm anxious to go on more solo hunts now because of the freedom that, come, that comes with it. Because I'm a, I'm a guy that wants to, like – please the guys in camp or give yeah i know something feeling. to someone else you know it's like no you 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 can have it i don't i'm not aggressive with my own you know with my own like getting what i want and so when i'm there by myself man i don't it's just there's a lot of freedom with it yeah no that's that's so true and i think that something i need to be more cognizant of like in the moment I mean, for me, it took me until after the season really to reflect and to figure out some of the stuff I made mistakes on. I struggled this year and with whitetails, it was the first year I didn't fill my Pennsylvania tag in like nine years. And it was, it sucked, you know, I was like going back and forth, like what, what went wrong? And 
I realized I wasn't as patient as normal. I was moving more. I was during that, that week that I had off from work and I was hunting with those guys. I felt like I wanted to put one deer in front of them or have them opportunities when I know that with low deer densities, if I just sit down and wait in an area that I know is good, I've done my homework ahead of time and be patient. It's going to happen. I just got to be patient. And I felt like I was not. And, yeah, you know, and I'm, it's, it's, hear you. it's a, you know, a self-reflection thing that I was like, all right, you know, I get, go back to what, you know, uh, when it comes to that and, and try to be able to figure it out or, or I guess self, I don't know the right word for it, but realize it in the moment when these things are happening, recognize it and be able to kind of, well, one, one thing I noticed is that, uh, you're, you know, yourself really well. I mean, best you can, like you're you, you know? Yeah. And so you know what your skills are, what your talents are, what your your strengths and weaknesses are in general. I mean, if you're kind of in tune to yourself, you're you're pretty self aware. And uh, so, based on that, you know, in your own experience, you might have a gut instinct on how you're going to approach this stock and how you want to do it, and a game plan for how you want to do it. And then you you know that, and then your buddy says. Now I'd do the total opposite and I'd go this way and I would circle there and I would do that. Well, I, I would, uh, often defer to someone who had hunted more than me or killed more animals than me. And I would be like, well, okay, I'll do it your way. I don't do that anymore. I'm always open for advice, but I don't do that anymore. I do it how I want to do it. I, I always like to hear another perspective, but then if I don't feel like that perspective really is going to be better, I don't, I do it my way. Mm -hmm. And that stubbornness to do things my way, trust my own instincts has really paid off in the last couple of years because turns out, you know, you know, you the best and, and you have your own set of experiences and you know, if I fail, it's all on me. If I fail because I followed someone else's advice, then it's kind of shared. I don't, I don't like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, no, I've, you know, I'll have a buddy that'll say, if you'd done it my way, you'd have killed it. It's like, <sighs> maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe you're right. But, um, I didn't and I'm okay with that. And guess what? When I do kill it, right. I can say I did it my way and I killed it. Right. It wasn't, I achieved the goal all on my own. So I would rather succeed or fail all on my own merits nowadays than I did when I hunted with other people in the past. So it's like, yep, I might be screwing this up big time, but it's my screw up. I own it, you know? And so, yeah, it has been really good for me to hunt by myself. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's, I think it's a really good way of looking at it. And I, I think a lot of people come into, or especially from the East can't always find hunting partners to go out West and stuff. And, and it, it is something that's going into a solo hunt for a first time. It can be a big deal. You may maybe start out with truck camping or something where you have those little bit of luxuries. I know the first time I went out, there's no way I would have been successful doing it solo from my mindset standpoint, but now I feel so much more confident in things and I like hunting by myself. I love the, the camp camaraderie. I like hunting with friends, but at the same time for 
a lot of the reasons you just explained, like that's, that's cool to me. And yeah, there's something really rewarding about it. And to be able to go out and climb in a tree stand, hike in an area, spot an animal, spot and stock it, you know, to, to have your plan work out and you to be all by yourself, it's pretty nice. Then there's just not that pressure that you get when you're with people. Mm-hmm. Like you feel like they're all getting out of their tree stand to go back to camp, you know, at, about noon. And you're like, man, I want to sit here all day. And then they're like, don't be gay, you know, go and do this and do, do that. You know, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> no, dude, I, 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 this is what I want to do. Yeah. And they're all mad at you. And so, yeah, I find like for me, I, I like to do it my way. And you can, if you're not there, I don't have to deal with, you know, you yeah. giving a crap for either screwing up or wanting to stay longer or climb that stupid mountain that you're like, no way I'm going to the top of that. I'm yeah. Going. When I was by myself. I just do what I feel like, you yeah. know. And so, I do think you you kill more on yeah. your own. Yeah, that's uh, it's definitely interesting there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Brian, we've been talking for like, yeah, it was over, fun, dude. Over three hours here. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's been great, man. I I've really appreciated it, and uh, I'd like for you to be able to tell. Uh, listeners here where, I mean, you mentioned um, some stuff with your YouTube and podcast, but where can people find you on social and some other places? Yeah, I am on, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Brian, B-R-I-A-N underscore call, C-A-L-L. And then uh, BrianCall.com is my website. Simple. So creative. <laughs> BrianCall.com. And on that website, you can pretty much find all of our podcasts and in under one menu item and then all of our film under another menu item and you can binge watch hours and hours of hunting footage um, films I think I don't know how many we have now but uh, if you're stuck in indoors you're gonna have at least you know I don't know probably 30 hours of hunting videos to watch or something so if you haven't seen them do you think do you think anyone can can withstand Brian Call for 30 hours? I don't know, man. <laughs> but a lot of times it ain't me. It's somebody of mine that I filmed. Or, oh, I'm um, just kidding. <laughs> obviously, people do because they listen every week on the podcast. I figure it's because they're on a roof, putting on a roof, or they're doing construction, and they're like, they listen to everything else. So, yeah. And they're like, oh, that's what I got left. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'll, I'll put links to all that in the, the show notes here and stuff too. So, well, also, I it's cool. I, I have uh, films that I am putting out, fresh films I'm putting out every Sunday in the month of April. And uh, we're going to try to do the same thing in June uh, and then the same thing in August. So every other month, we're trying to put out four, four hunt uh, shows every Sunday. Oh, yeah. What's coming up this Sunday? This Sunday is a, a film on Prince of Wales Island. Okay. It's a do-it-yourself, unguided, uh, unoutfitted hunt, what we did on Prince of Wales for black bear. And we did a lot of crabbing at the same time in the ocean. And uh, so we get a couple black bears. We teach you in the video just a little bit, like high level, how to butcher, how to how to skin a bear, how to eat the meat. Um, trichinosis, a little bit about trichinosis, because my brother, like an idiot, ate some bear meat that wasn't cooked all the way <laughs> years ago. So we have firsthand. He got it at the same time Ranella got it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so um, that was uh, an experience. So we have firsthand uh, knowledge of that. And the 
there's two parts to that. And then we have another bear hunt in British Columbia. It was a bow hunt and it was spot and stock. And we killed two bears in that video. And then we have a third video that is, uh, our fourth video. That's actually an elk hunt in Arizona. It's an older film. It's funny. We're going through some archive footage from that old, old stuff. Um, but by the time I get, by the time April's over, I should have fresh, fresh new bear hunting footage, uh, by mid May or something like mm -hmm. that. So, uh, we'll start publishing all the bear content from, from this spring. Yeah. So the stuff you're seeing now is a little older, but I think it's still really entertaining. Yeah. Well, good. And, uh, you said you're going on a bear hunt here in like a week, week and a half. Yeah. You know, by mid April, mid to late April, we're going to head out and, uh, try to, try to stack up some bears. Um, I love bear meat. It's my favorite game meat. Uh, can that stuff, can it. And it is like the best pot roast on mm -hmm. the planet. Um, smoke the, a hind quarter, big, big bear ham. Like there's a few ways to do it. You just want to make sure you cook it all the way through. But if you do, you, and you can cook it thoroughly because it's got so much fat in it. It doesn't turn to shoe leather like a elk or a deer would. Yeah. You need to eat bear. You can actually cook it pretty thoroughly and still have a nice tender piece. So, yeah. But canning is the way to go. Yeah. Bear meat's great. And I, I had, I had some from, I was up in Alaska. I was at, actually staying at uh, Heather Kelly's place and yeah. she, and she had made some bear sausage that we had and it was like breakfast sausage. And, oh, it was so good. Uh, just it's, excellent. It is. It's really good stuff. And so, um, I always want to get a few bears each year, a couple bears because we usually, my family usually eats all of our bear, our canned bear meat by August or September. So we, we, sh we kill it only lasts three or four months and it is all gone. We binge it. We eat it all. So maybe this year I can shoot a little bigger bear than I did last year and get a little more meat. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, Brian, good luck on that, that hunt and some of the other ones here. And it, as always, it's great talking to you. You too, brother. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.